Hello, 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 and welcome to the 14th episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, we hope to serve you the grains of capitalism. Now, if you've been watching the news lately, I'm sure you would have heard of Hurricane Harvey hitting the southern side of Texas in the United States. And as of this recording, the damage toll reads about 30 dead, 30,000 homeless, and hundreds of thousands of homes underwater due to severe flooding. However, while the economic damage of natural disasters is an intriguing topic in and of itself, Singapore is pretty isolated from natural disasters, and thus I would like to focus today on the more relatable instance of price gouging. Particularly, this has become a topic of online debate due to several photos being posted of people charging exorbitant amounts for basic necessities such as water during the hurricane. A familiar practice, I'm sure, to any Singaporean who has tried to purchase a concert ticket from secondhand dealers. Unfortunately, such discussions tend to be crowded out by moral concerns, and in such instances, the narrative is pretty one-sided with price gougers painted as bad people only seeking their own profit at the sake of others. For example, concert ticket resellers price individuals out of a concert experience when they charge double or triple the listing price, and water sellers during Hurricane Harvey make it difficult for poor people to obtain basic necessities when they raise the prices. Crucially, what is lacking in these discussions is the economic function that price gouging serves and why it exists in the first place. My hope today is that through understanding the economic concepts behind price gouging, individuals can have a more nuanced and fruitful discussion surrounding the issue. Whether you continue to see price gougers as evil after this episode is up to you, but at the very least, you should acknowledge their rationale and their economic contribution beyond just surface-level morality. So, let's begin with the case of Hurricane Harvey. The key economic function that price gouging serves here is the realignment of a price equilibrium. Under normal market conditions, the price of any good or service is determined by the level of demand from consumers and the level of supply from the producers. For example, an ice kacang vendor who usually charges $2 for a bowl might raise prices if demand rose, maybe it was mentioned in the news or some food blog, or supply fell. Maybe palm sugar became harder to find, or one of the vendor's ice-shaving machines broke down. Likewise, the vendor might lower prices if demand fell. You know, maybe the stall received a bad cleanliness grade or bad press. Or if supply rose, maybe the vendor installed an extra machine or extra staff. So the key point here to take is that the movement of prices is necessary to the efficient allocation of goods and services in any market. Prices, in turn, act as signals to both consumers and producers to adjust levels of demand and supply accordingly. Just as consumers flock shopping centers during the Great Singapore Sale, producers want to be ramping up production when prices are high, or in other words, striking while the iron is hot. So, back to Hurricane Harvey. Under times of natural disaster, it is reasonable for the price of certain goods to increase. This is as the level of demand has increased as people require basic necessities in times of distress, while the level of supply has decreased as normal vendors such as supermarkets and small vendors stop operating their stores. Therefore, as items such as water become scarce and more in demand, the efficient market adjustment is for its price to go up significantly. 
This price move is signaled to producers and entices them to bring goods into a market which sorely needs it. These people who bring supplies into a market during a crisis will be the very ones labeled as price gougers and morally shamed on the internet. Of course, at this point, some of you might be recoiling in disgust. I mean, after all, where is the compassion for your fellow man, right? I mean, if you have supplies and a means to provide it, why don't you give it away through charity rather than selling it at exorbitant prices? Isn't this a, a glaring example of the failures of capitalism? In response, let's consider the crisis scenario as it occurs, right? So when the hurricane hits, it normally takes a while before civil defense forces can provide aid and shelter, meaning that in the period before help arrives, individuals are left to fend off for themselves and can only rely on neighbors or others for help. At this point, put yourselves in the shoe of the notorious water gouger. You, just like anyone else, are scared for your life due to the impending hurricane and gather whatever essentials you need before moving to a designated shelter point. However, once you are there, you find out that another shelter point is sorely lacking in water by which you have some extra supplies at hand. Would you readily put yourself at risk by driving out into the hurricane to give away water for free at the other shelter? Sure, I mean some individuals might, but for the majority, it is likely that they would just stay in place looking out for their own safety or that of their own families. And this is perfectly reasonable. I mean, why would anyone put themselves at a position of significant risk without any potential return? But if you introduce the opportunity to gain a profit and witness how incentives change, suddenly individuals begin weighing the, the profits to be had against the risk that they would take. And eventually, if the price is high enough to compensate them for risk, key goods such as water begin to enter the market, and each party, whether it be the person who risked their life to sell supplies, or the people at the other location that needed water, are better off. This, then, is the efficient market at work. When prices move in response to changing levels of supply and demand, and where consumers and producers adjust accordingly, through this lens, Price gouging is far from being a market or some failure of capitalism, but rather the necessary adjustment when market conditions change. Now, some people might be unsatisfied with this interpretation and call for maybe some you know, government-led measures to stop price gouging because they deem it just too morally abhorrent. Unfortunately, arguing for intervention without understanding the underlying economic concepts is a surefire way to produce unwanted consequences. So let's imagine then that there is a wholesale ban on price gouging of any form, by which case the price gouger could be penalized for doing so. This would be a scenario whereby state intervention has derailed normal market conditions. In the case of Hurricane Harvey, we can view this as an artificial price freeze even though the perceived market value of goods such as water has increased due to its scarcity. Will such a policy actually be beneficial? Well, refer back to the hypothetical of the water gouger. Seeing that he might be penalized for selling water at higher prices, why would he risk his life to go out and do so? I mean, there is no compensation for the risk that he is taking in delivering the supplies, and there is no added profit to incentivize it either. In this case, the unwanted consequences are realized as individuals at the other location continue to suffer for lack of supplies. 
In economics, the technical term for such consequences or costs are known as deadweight losses. In this scenario, there is a deadweight loss accrued to the producer since he is legally barred from making a profit, thereby leaving money on the table, and there is a deadweight loss accrued to the consumers as well, since they cannot obtain the desired level of goods to satisfy their demand. Therefore, in this scenario, it is ironically the state's intervention that produces the market failure of inefficient allocation of goods and services. Further, Let's consider another possible state-led intervention to curb the perceived evils of price gouging. Perhaps to help those who lack supplies during times of emergency, a policy is introduced which mandates anyone with excess supplies to give away their goods for free. In such a scenario, state intervention has yet again disrupted normal market operations, this time by dropping the price to zero completely. In economic parlance, the result is a deadweight loss borne completely by the producers, since they have to bear the entire cost of delivery while receiving no compensation at all for their efforts. However, put economics aside and imagine the moral and cultural ramifications of such a policy. I mean sure, even though the needy stand to gain from this policy, do you think it is right to force suppliers to risk their lives through delivery? I mean what if someone who had just braved through the storm and flood was forced to go back out again because he had excess supplies. Also, how would individuals treat one another with such a policy in place? If you had supplies, wouldn't you be wary of other individuals who didn't? And if you needed supplies, wouldn't you be suspicious of those who are in abundance? Wouldn't such a policy lead to increased class conflict and social unrest? To tie the economic concepts of uh, price adjustment and deadweight losses back to Singapore, I would like to discuss the fascinating case of our newly minted Michelin star hawkersols. Now, for those of you who are unaware, in 2016, two local hawkersols were awarded Michelin stars for their excellent dishes. As suspected, demand surged on the basis of this news, whereby Mr. Chan Hong Meng of Hong Kong Soy Sauce Chicken Rice and Noodle pointed out how, quote, customers usually wait 45 minutes to an hour. But I think now they'll probably have to wait at least one and a half to two hours. End quote. Interestingly, both stalls have acted against raising their prices and have been hailed by the general public for doing so. Now recall the economic concepts that we have just covered. Since it takes investment and time to increase supply, a producer's immediate action in the face of rising demand should be to increase prices at least if they are interested in maintaining the efficient allocation of goods and services. When Mr. Chan and Mr. Tang Che Seng of Hill Street Taihua Pork Noodle say that they would not be raising prices, they are in effect placing a price freeze on their goods. Of course, as we have learned earlier, when prices aren't able to adjust accordingly to market forces or to changes in levels of supply or demand, individuals have to bear costs through their weight losses. In this case, Mr. Chan and Mr. Tang bear deadweight losses as producers as they leave profit on the table, since their limited production capacity cannot meet all the new demand brought about by the Michelin Star Award. On the other end, the deadweight loss borne by consumers is even clearer, as they have to wait a ridiculous amount of time for their food. I mean, think about this, right? As a working adult, who has one and a half to two hours to wait in line just for their lunch? Now. Picture the alternative scenario whereby Mr. Chan and Mr. Tang actually raise prices to adjust to rising demand. 
Although they stand to receive some moral flag from online netizens, I think that criticizing the price adjustment alone is a little premature. Where the real ethical considerations lie should be on the actions that the two owners take with the increased profits. To be clear, I'm not one to be too bothered with how individuals spend their hard-earned income, particularly for hawker-stall owners who work for long hours in difficult conditions. However, if the extra profits just go towards fancy cars or lavish dinners, I would consider that a massively wasted opportunity for their business. After all, the extra income could help in hiring more staff or investing in machinery that could help increase their production capacity so that they can cut queue times for patrons. Otherwise, they could invest towards better locations, build their brand, or cook up new dishes to keep customers excited. To this end, you can look to no clearer example than Singapore's very own founder Bakute, which has expanded from a small shop in Chuachukang to the recognized franchise brand it is today, all thanks to hard work and savvy business investments. To summarize the case of Singapore's Michelin star hawkers, Keeping the prices constant while demand surge brought about costs on both producers and consumers through deadweight losses. Also, we have to consider the opportunity cost of their self-enacted price freeze. Had the stall owners increased prices to meet rising demand, they might have built up the capital necessary to invest back in their businesses, through which they could have increased production to alleviate the deadweight losses that they currently incur. So, lastly, I want to close out the discussion of price gouging by looking at how it applies in the case of concert tickets. And for many individuals out there, this can certainly be an extremely frustrating experience. I mean, you wait eagerly right, for the, the tickets to be released online, only to find out that they are sold out before you, you can complete your transaction. And a few days later, you discover that the tickets are being listed for double or triple their original listing in second-hand markets. And at this, you cry out in despair, right? You call, you call these ticket gougers the scum of the earth, and you wish upon them the gravest of punishments for their injustices. However, as with the case of the water gougers in Hurricane Harvey, ticket gougers perform the basic economic function of realigning the price equilibrium in the market. In this regard, there are a few interesting points that I would like to discuss. Firstly, it is worth pointing out that the second-hand market is a better proxy for the value of the concert tickets than the original distributor. If tickets are sold out in minutes, this is a clear sign that demand has overwhelmed supply and that therefore the original prices were set too low to begin with. When there is a disparity between the list price and the actual market value, this results in a clear arbitrage opportunity where individuals can purchase and resell tickets at a profit. This is thus a big factor as to why ticket gougers exist in the first place. If concert tickets actually reflected its market value, then there would be little incentive to try and sell tickets at a higher price. However, because the actual market value of ticket prices are not known, ticket, ticket gougers are essentially gambling through the transactions. This of course implies a great deal of risk involved. And considering the fact that ticket gougers have to bear significant upfront costs in terms of time, as well as the capital needed to buy the initial set of tickets, it is extremely risky to not have any certainty regarding the final payoff. After all, just because a gouger sets his price at 5 times the original list price doesn't mean that anyone will buy it, or that it is the actual market value. And if the gouger doesn't lower his prices, 
he might end up with a bunch of tickets and his entire initial investment squandered. Also, regarding the upfront cost of tickets, another way you might look at the case of ticket gouging is that the original list prices are discounted for time. What I mean by this is that built into the list price is a discount for acknowledging that the tickets will be sold from a certain time and from certain vendors. Therefore, if you are unable to purchase the tickets at the start, you bear a cost that increases the closer it gets to the actual concert date. From official ticket sellers, this can be seen through the discrepancy in early bird versus normal prices or normal prices versus tickets sold at the door. In cases where the concert tickets have sold out, this concept is also applicable. And if you go to a concert looking for a ticket, included in the ticket gouger selling price is the premium for being able to purchase a sold out concert ticket right before it starts. Finally, to close out the discussion on ticket gouging as well as today's podcast, I would like to point out that in reality, there are practical stumbling blocks to solving the ticket gouging issue. Among these include the fact that it is impossible to know the actual market value of concert tickets, and that even if it, if it were known, it would be difficult to adjust once the tickets start selling. But before we start clamoring for government intervention, intermediate solutions such as staggering sales timings might help. This is as distributors can get a better sense of market demand from the first release and adjust ticket prices accordingly for the second one. While it is not a perfect solution, it helps to diminish the deadweight loss effects incurred from both producers and consumers, and which is already practiced by many ticket sellers with early bird sales. Finally, there are some who will cry foul at the suggestion that tickets should be priced much higher in the first place, which denies the concert-going experience to the poor. To this I can only say that a concert is a luxury and far, far, far from being a necessity. If you are so poor that you have to decide between spending $100 on a concert ticket rather than on food or rent, then I don't think that any responsible individual should pick the concert at all. I mean, perhaps if you really, really wanted to attend a concert, you could always check out the local music scene in Singapore where you can easily find tickets selling for $10 without any ticket gougers. Or you could work hard and save up for that big concert. And with that brings the end to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something with regards to price adjustments, deadweight losses, and the economic function of price gouging. As usual, if you like this episode, you can help by liking and sharing it or by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. This has been your host Danny at the Economic Rights Podcast. We hope you tune in next time where we serve the grains of capitalism. Okay.